Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And we are coming to you from our quarantined homes. We are very far away from far, each far other, away. although we're all getting obsessed with Zoom. Oh my gosh, yeah, I know way more about how to use Zoom than I had ever planned to do. Um, but I, I'm excited that we get to connect here. I'm excited that we get to bring you guys fresh mom brain uh, during this time when I think a lot of us are um, are looking for answers and looking for ideas, especially when it comes to our kids how to how to be teachers, um, which has proven to be pretty interesting here at our house, um, and and how best to give our kids. This is what I'm trying to focus on: how to give our kids positive memories from this time as much as possible. It is it is a really challenging, scary, anxiety ridden experience at best for all of us. Um, but I think for the kids, there's this opportunity to experience a slow paced life that I think most of us had probably forgotten could exist and. There's opportunities for us to to really be present in and to get these projects that like are pie in the sky things you talk about, you know, Sunday night as you're crashing into sleep, you're like, oh, I meant to, you know, write a book with my kids or laminate their artwork or whatever it is that you did plan to do. And now there's this wonderful opportunity to do it. So I hope that a lot of the episodes we're going to try to bring you from from, you know, mom brain distance are going to help figure out ways that we can all be making the most of this time and, uh, and helping, you know, helping Larry and I and helping you guys um, make sense of it all. So today we're talking with Mariah Brule, who is um, somebody who's very near and dear to my heart and the heart of my family because we go to her camp every single summer. Um, and she is this woman who we very serendipitously ran into. Um, she's got a very small little kind of like actually two room schoolhouse building and it's filled with all sorts of different activities that really make your kid want to learn and my kids are obsessed with it I had originally because it's a week by week program I originally only did a couple of weeks and then my kids would literally cry when they weren't when they're on a week where they weren't going there and it's just it's a short program it's like a three-hour program in the morning um but it's absolutely incredible because your kids want to go there and they come back with such incredible information. And, you know, anytime I'm going through a big struggle with my kids or trying to figure out a way to tackle some parenting thing, she's been an, an incredible resource. She's so calm. She's so serene. And watching her both interact with parents and kids, you feel like she's got like these like mystical twistical magical powers where she can just like bring like the namaste there and make people want to learn all sorts of incredible things so you know we thought of her this week because she is so great at um, making children excited to learn I think that that's something that most of us are probably struggling with at home where not only are we overwhelmed and how are we supposed to be teachers but also we're trying to get kids to focus so we're super excited to have her here today we're thinking about you guys. We hope that you're staying as sane as possible. And hopefully you have a few minutes to, more than a few minutes, hopefully you have like 45 minutes to listen to this because I think it will really be worth your while. Here's Mariah. Silly mommy. The Hello, my name is Mariah Brule. I'm a parent and I'm also the founder of Playful Learning. We have a learning studio uh, called Playful Learning Studio in East Hampton, New York. And we also have a website at playfullearning.net that has lots of fun, playful activities that you can share with your children at home. People ask me all the time, what does playful learning mean? And our philosophy behind playful learning is that learning should be authentic, should be child-centered, um, and should offer children lots of choice so that they are engaged in their learning and enjoy the process along the way. And where can we follow you? You can find Playful Learning at playfullearning.net online. And I also am the author of two books, 
uh, one is called, the first one's called Playful Learning, which is for children ages three through eight, which is a lot of practical advice and fun activities that parents can do with their children at home. My second book is called Real Life Rules, and that's for older children, uh, tweens and teens, and it's about life lessons that you can explore with your children at home as well. And we can follow you on Instagram? Oh, yes, yes. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's, under, it's called Playful Learning. So one of, one of the things that I am extremely excited to hear from you, Mariah, is, you know, all of a sudden we've been thrown into teacher roles and I feel so underprepared for it. Running after a bunch of little kids, trying to make them focused and trying to figure out how to teach multiple ages um, at the same time and different things. And, and I'm, you know, I, we just started getting schoolwork from schools from from the schools. But before that, I was just making up work to give to them. And I want them to be engaged. And I'm trying, I'm like the focus, I think, is the hardest thing. So I'd love to know how we can um, structure the day. You know, I think a lot of parents feel very helpless right now. Um, we're given stuff to do, but we feel like there's very little structure. And then also how to keep them engaged. So you have a lot of questions all rolled up into one. Uh, so I think in terms of structuring the day, I think you can't, I think parents have to take some pressure off of themselves. There's no way that they're going to be able to replicate the classroom experience or the classroom instruction that's happening. So I think you have to take some pressure off yourselves to follow a very strict schedule with your children. I think that's going to end up backfiring and it's going to make everyone frustrated and unhappy. So I think in terms of scheduling the day, you need to have your big blocks that you know are gonna happen. You know, there's there's gonna have to be breakfast and then, you know, a few a couple activities in between and lunch and nap. So so I would say just like you do on weekends when you're with your kids, keep your day structured similar to that. If you have older children who are getting work from schools, my advice is um, try to try to squeeze it into as a small time slot as possible. I mean, I think what parents are realizing is it's a lot of, I, all schools are different and I'm interested in hearing what you're getting from your schools. I'm hoping some schools are sending some interesting things for children to do at home, but what I'm hearing so far is it's a lot of busy work and parents are rebelling and children are rebelling. So I'd say have a little, uh, have a little time for schoolwork so that they know that if you can condense it into a small amount of time, get through that busy work or whatever they sent you as quickly as possible, that there's more time to do things that are going to be enjoyable. What I'm hearing and what's concerning me is that what's happening with all this work that schools are sending home is that children are getting turned off. They're feeling like learning isn't fun. They're feeling like schoolwork is not fun. So I think we have to do what, what we do, whereas we know if we have something big that we have to do that day, we try to get it done as efficiently um, and as quickly as possible. Of course, doing your best work and all those important things. But we know that we get to go for a walk afterwards, or we know we get to go to the gym afterwards, or we know we get to have lunch with our kids afterwards. So it's something to look forward to. So for older kids, I would just have a certain time period every day where they know it's schoolwork, where they, they know when it's coming, and talk to them about how it feels so good if you finish your schoolwork first thing in the morning that you have time to do other things that you enjoy. Those are life lessons that we all experience and we all have to um, those inner voices that we tell ourselves when we have a lot to do, we can start helping children have those inner voices too. Like let's get our schoolwork done and then we can go for a fun walk or those kinds of things. Um, you also brought up attention, which is really important. And that's going to depend on the age of your child and every child is different. So for younger children, I just had a conference call with the, the Playful Learning Studio families and we have mostly, we have young, younger children. And what I told them is that the, one of the biggest milestones for early childhood children is to increase their ability to focus for longer and longer periods of time. So for young children, it almost doesn't matter what they're doing. You just want them to stay focused on something for a long period of time. So even if it's building with Legos or um, exploring, um, you know, looking through a book that they love or, or even playing with their toys. I'd have to say that screen time is a little bit separate from this, but any activity that they get engaged in, um, treat that as very precious and don't interrupt them, you know, especially with praise. And we think, oh my gosh, look, he's been so focused. Look at that amazing building he's building with the Legos. Oh my gosh, you know, Romeo, that's so amazing. But that actually interrupts their focus. So let them focus for longer, longer periods of time. Treat that focus time when they're engaged in something as precious 
And, and once they start learning how to focus on things they love, then they can, they can transfer that to other situations. For older children who are just kind of feel like the homework is boring or um, they don't want to do it, I, I, I recommend, like I said, trying to condense it into, um, you know, as efficient, um, um, as efficient to get it efficiently done as possible and then have other things scheduled in the day. What I'm finding is hard is that I have these assignments for each one of them and it's hard to give them the individual attention that they need when and to have them all sit down when I'm trying to do it with three different kids. So what I've been doing is I'm trying to have uh, Rafa and Leo do the same activity. So I make Rafa and Leo both do Rafa and Leo's schoolwork. So Leo's teachers send this Leo's then mm -hmm. I mean they're they're 14 months apart so it's interesting for both of them. Um but I do find that like I'm chasing after one of them and like carrying them back to the sea and then this one's like climbing on over here and I mean it just it it is like you you wish that there was a hidden camera because in a couple of years this is going to be so funny. I totally get I mean it. not not that part but just the chasing after them part. Like I said it's different for different age groups with um with your younger children the preschool children I think it's hard. So to, to have them sit down and, and focus for a long period of time on something that's not of their own uh, interest or, or something that they were curious about themselves. So I don't, I don't recommend trying to have them sit down and do schoolwork. I'm not sure what activities uh, your school is sending home, but for example, when we're in the studio, we set up interesting activities, even if it's on your kitchen table and you have different interesting activities for them to do and kind of leave them out and don't even say anything. I mean, the, the thing that's hard is that we're all, parents are all trying to be school teachers, but, but, and we expect children to listen to us like they listen to their teachers. And that's just, it's a completely different relationship. So I think, and I believe me, I tried this because my girls were three and five. Um, I was working as a, a director of an of a elementary school and my children were three and five when I stopped work. And I tried to do the same thing. I was like, okay, we're gonna do writer's notebooks and we're gonna do all these fun classroom lessons. And it completely flopped because it's a completely different relationship. Children are, they go into school knowing they're supposed to listen to their teacher and do what they're told and do what everyone else is doing. So it's a completely different environment. For children who are in preschool, there's so many opportunities to learn in everyday life. I don't even know if I would suggest having them sit down for a period of time with an, with an activity that, um, that you're trying to get them to do. I would put it out and leave it out, and maybe while Car Carmen's doing her work and you can focus with her, um, uh, you know, let them explore different things, have other things that they're doing. To try and get um, all of them to focus at the same time is going to be a little tricky, so I might even stagger it, you know, um, so that you can focus on Carmen and they know this is your time with Carmen because she's doing schoolwork, you know, she, she has to sit down and she needs a lot of your attention. With the younger children, and I see you do it, Alaria, there's so many learning opportunities for them during the day when you're out for a walk or if they show an interest in something. You know, I saw on social media that Rafa loves Statue of Liberty. There's so much learning, and I see you do it. I see you take advantage of their natural interests. Well, going off what you were saying, it was so funny because I'm, like, really struggling today. I'm trying to make them sit down and, like, you just I mean, it's, like, so crazy. Yes. And then we just put up a bird feeder the other day, and all all of a sudden these birds came and they okay. want to go and open up the bird watching book and they're like oh that's a something something finch and that's a this and that's a that and I'm like well why why we have to do this work that's cool and they couldn't just learn about birds exactly. and then I once I let them have lunch they're like opening up insect books and exactly. trying to figure out all the, and having all these questions and I'm like I just spent the, like the past three hours wrangling you guys and now I leave you to your own accord and you're just learning on your own it's a perfect example and I saw that bird feeder I saw you putting it up and we have mm -hmm. the same one here in the studio they're like putting a little basket with a little bird book and binoculars near a window for them to discover. You have to be stealth. They're not gonna listen to you like you're, like you're a school teacher. You have to be stealth. And so you have to just leave things out for them to, to discover. I recommend finding all the little baskets you have around your house and doing little theme-based baskets where you take a bird book and you take binoculars and maybe there's a little bit of bird food in there. And you know, they say, mom, what's this? And you say, oh, it's just you know, something I left out in case you're interested. Maybe we can take the, the bird seat on the walk next time we go, or maybe we could take the leaf guide with us next time we, and a magnifying glass with us next time we go for a walk. And you, like you said, you pick 
up on their interests, then you give them the book for it. Then you have them draw a picture of it. Then you talk about the first letter and the sound, um, you know, of the bird they just discovered. It's very an organic process. And for the early child, and even for for all children, all ages, that's actually how they're going. You know, they're going to learn best. You know, we're kind of seeing what children are spending their days doing in school. And without the social element there, the children are not, it's not fun for them. So use everyday opportunities and don't put the pressure on yourself to get done what a school teacher would get done in the day. I know you will have demand, so it's not that easy because you're getting lots of homework from schools. So like I said, it's going to be different for every age. But but when you, when you combine a child's natural curiosity with um, simple little um, prompts or invitations to explore around the house and baskets on trays, lead out a, an interesting coffee table book with, um, you know, pictures of insects or birds. Those are all the things they'll, they'll act on them. You want them, you want, you want them to make the choice and you want them to show the interest, then you'll have them captivated. If, you, if we're trying to, if they sense that we have an agenda and we're trying to get them to do this worksheet that school sent, they're really going to rebel against that. I was so funny that, I mean, I feel so relieved just listening to you and maybe you can see I'm like, I'm, I'm waffling between rapturous attention and like trying okay. to take your notes and everything because I, so much of what you just said is, is really powerful. And I, I hope gives moms and dads at home just like a chance to take a deep breath and realize that you're not a total, that's not the problem. Right. It's that, it's that we are taught because, you know, as professionals or as adults, you're taught to structure your day in a very particular ordered way. And if you're not a professional teacher, you don't necessarily come with the skill set of understanding how to transition that into the best way kids actually learn, especially kids our age. And that was something that you mentioned earlier on that, I mean, I, I really want to dive deep on your specific learning philosophy because it was something that, um, I, you know, Alari was kind enough to introduce us years ago. And I have always thought that you're your preference for giving children an opportunity to love something before you try to teach them about it is really interesting. Exactly. And of course, highly motivating when people are interested, they're happier to learn. Um, but, but one thing that you mentioned that I think is super, at least I struggle with this is how to praise kids. You said like, don't jump in there and try to say, Oh, great job. You're doing such a good job. You know, it's funny. My grandmother's always like, why do you, why do we tell kids good job all the time? That wasn't the thing when I was growing up there. It's not their job to like love their environment and want to learn and have fun. Um, but you know, we, we, our inclination is to try to motivate, to try to incentivize, to try to give them this external validation. And I don't know that kids really respond to that at all. So I'd love you to talk about how are we supposed to motivate them? Because there are schools are sending out a ton. If I had a dollar for every zoom invite and password and like document worksheet, I was supposed to drop in by 3 PM. It's just, it's mania right now. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do we praise and motivate children? And then talk a little bit about why that doesn't work because children need to kind of be motivated internally anyway. Yeah, so how to praise and motivate children. So when people ask me, what's the trick with playful learning? I, you know, my, our company is called Playful Learning. Um, what, is, what makes playful learning playful learning? And the biggest element that I feel is choice. I know, I know that a lot of children don't have that in schools, but you have, you, I mean, you have most of the day. I'll be surprised if for elementary school and younger, if you're getting more than an hour, some schools may be getting for older upper elementary two hours. So, so we have to just put it into perspective that it doesn't have to take over our whole day, right? Hopefully you can get for elementary school students, you can get what the assignments that are being sent home done in an hour, mm -hmm. maybe two for the older children. So let's just put it in a little box um, and, and, and schedule that time and try to get your older children to, to do the work that needs to be done. But without that element of choice and without that element of a natural curiosity, you're not really going to get the internal motivation that, that you would want. And I think that I have a perfect, and in terms of, um, and in terms of praise, I have this wonderful story that I, I want to share with you that kind of encapsulates my whole philosophy on it. So in terms of praise, Praise is often interruption when a child's engaged in something. And that's not what they want to hear. You want them, you want, you know, when we, when we're in flow, when we get in that flow, we're working on a project and we lose all sense of time and place and we, and we're, you know, whether it's a writing project or a, you know, web project or whatever we're doing, we want children to tap into that sense of flow because that kind of solves the whole focus issue, right? If they're engaged in something and flowing, we don't want to interrupt it. So I was in a Montessori school. Montessori is a, is a um, very big influence on my philosophy. It's not, I'm not 
pure Montessori because I pull in a couple other elements. But um, I was observing in a Montessori school because um, I was in the studio when I first opened the studio six years ago, I was starting to, um, to work with younger and younger children. So I wanted to go observe and see how the elementary schools were working with the two and three year olds. So I was observing in the elementary school, just sitting in a corner of a room and watching all the children because they all work independently and they all have choice. And I think those are important elements. So this one little boy who was probably three years old was working on this, uh, it's, it's like, it's a puzzle, it's a cube, it's called the binomial, binomial cube. And it's very complex and, it's, uh, and you have to take the whole piece together, it has a lot of pieces and you have to put it all back together exactly so th so this boy was struggling he was working all by himself the teachers were focused with other children they didn't know what he was doing he completed the whole cube and i was blown away from it i had watched him do it for about 15 minutes he completed the whole cube and i wanted to jump up and say you did it so amazing <laughs> of course i controlled myself because i was a guest in the classroom but he didn't need any external praise or motivation to do it it was it was, um, he, he, I could see in his face that he felt it himself. He, he didn't need to hear anyone say good job. He was determined to finish a task and he did it. And I could see on his face, the pride that came with it. So children need a lot less positive reinforcement than we realize. Um, with that said, I do want to make an important point because that binomial cube for that boy was in what I, what is not what I call, but what is called a zone of proximal development. So if children, and this goes with toys, this goes with movies, it goes with everything, it goes with apps, everything. If you have something in your house or you're trying to get them to do something and they have zero interest in, you know, you, I hear parents say all the time, oh, I bought this amazing toy and they play with it for two minutes and then they never looked at it again. It's because it's either too easy or it's too challenging. So you want to find those activities are at that zone of proximal development. I don't know if you, you know, with the three, so one perfect example of that is three-year-olds and mastering cutting, right? So there's something intrinsic in three-year-olds, two and a half, maybe three, where they have this desire to learn how to cut. So I tried doing a craft project once with a group of three-year-olds and the whole project went out the door because all they wanted to do was cut, 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 cut. <laughs> Can we talk about that for one second? Because I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's, I'll sit there doing these crafts. So I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, see five, he's, he's four, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old and an almost eight-month-old. And I'll do this craft project with the six and the four-year-old together. And they'll be sitting there just wanting to cut. All they want to do is cut the whole time. And I'm like, no, let's move on. Let's glue <laughs> the watercolor, you know, cutout shapes that we've done to the craft. And they are just so excited by, and that, that I like, as a parent, I, and now as, as a desperately trying to be an educator for them, I, I recognize that that's me pushing like what I as an adult am eager to get onto, not what they what actually would be gratifying to them about that experience. And that's so, is that just because, is there something developing the brain that's all like fine motor coordination, they just need that stimulation? Like why, why do they care so much about cutting? It's because it's a skill that they, that, that they know that they, they can feel as in with re, within reach, right? They want to do what we're doing. You know, they, um, talking about play or, you know, all these toys that we can get them. Children just want to have a positive impact on their environment and they want to do what we're doing. That's a big reason why Montessori um, created child-sized versions of tools and brooms and, you know, um, knives for cutting and all of those wonderful things because, because we don't want to give them dumbed down versions of real life things. We want to give them small versions that actually fit in their hand that they can actually um, make an impact with. So they want to do what we're doing. So the, it's because cutting at that moment was was a skill that they felt was within their reach. It wasn't too hard and it wasn't too easy. So it's that zone of, pro it's just enough challenge to keep them going. So once they get into that zone, that, that, that zone of proximal development is flow for them. So, so don't interrupt them. That, that, that's amazing. If they're, all they want to do is cut, you can just let them cut away. And, and then once they're ready, they'll lift their head up and realize, oh my gosh, you know, I spent 30 minutes cutting. Now they might want to start doing the pasting. But see, that's the irony. And it's not dissimilar from cooking. Like you only think you're doing it right if you're working hard. <laughs> the reality is you can like, if you step back and stop futzing with it so much, it actually develops itself much better. And you give breath for those moments of like spontaneous and I'm just thinking about all their neurons firing in that moment of I figured it like that little boy figuring out the crazy cube. You know, that's yes. that is that is reward and validation that from the outside we could never give them. 
What do you say then to, I mean, our kids are little, like if Laura and I let our kids rule the roost, we would literally have, we would come home to houses burned to the ground. What, you know, how do you, how are we supposed to provide not necessarily discipline. We've talked about that a, a bit here on the show. If you if you have ideas on that, I'd love to hear that too. But 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 structure. How are we meant to structure their days or provide those guardrails and those those sort of bumper rails so that they are learning how to be part of society? They're learning how to take instruction, but they're doing it in a way that really doesn't squash their own internal compass. Yeah. So I think you do have to structure your days. You know, when when um, when school started closing, I started seeing you know all. All of us desperate moms trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with our kids? And I started seeing schedules that were very fine tuned. You know, from 9 30 to 10 15, we're going to do writing. And from 10 15 to 10 45, we're going to do math and all those things. That is too much. But you do need to have a, a basic structure, you know, with, um, with, with, uh, kind of broad strokes, you know, so you all have breakfast in the morning and then um, maybe, it, you know, it's a, it's a walk outside or it's a quiet time and then you have your lunch and then you maybe it's um, project time. So, so I'd say structure your day in broad strokes so that you know you're staying on a regular schedule. They're not really ruling the roost, but you, but you have time to be spontaneous and pick up on their interests as you see it. So it's not, and that people ask me about schools all the time. They say, you know, how do you distinguish um, the quality of play-based programs and playful learning. The last thing playful learning really is, or play-based schooling really is, is letting children do whatever they want to do. And it's a free for all that that's not and playful learning actually takes a lot more structure and a lot more pre-planning um, so that there is an intrinsic structure in the environment and the schedule, but it allows within that structure, it allows for choice, you know, so, um, so, so keep it, keep it loosely scheduled you know, and make sure that they're doing everything that they need to do in the day, but allow for the spontaneous when you're on a walk and all of a sudden they hear the birds chirping and then they want to come home and they want to look up bird books and then they want to identify the birds. And then, you know, maybe the older ones want to draw pictures and write their names down, allow for that flexibility. Um, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not a free for all. It's so it's, um, like I said, broad stroke structure, but allow for some choice and for spontaneity in between. I hope that helps. What I've been finding as well, because um, I, I have been structuring the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then in between kind of figuring it out. And at this point, finding myself stressed between the wanting to sort of see what they're interested in, and then also the requirements that yeah. are starting to come from school, which they're not always interested in. Some of them are really cool, yeah. and some of them are, yeah. even I think, are a little bit boring. Um, but sort of that requirement of teaching them, well, actually, this is what we have to be doing right now and trying to have them focus. But a lot of this, you know, the past we've been quarantined now for um, 20 days, like three weeks. <laughs> I, I've been thinking that we started a little bit early. I think we was in like three. This weeks. is my three week anniversary um, <laughs> today, actually. Okay. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Um, but what the, the biggest thing I've noticed has been the change of pace especially as New Yorkers who were so used to being so fast. And sometimes you're like, why are we so fast? Like, do you ever have that where you like, you go on a vacation and then you come back to reality and you're like, why is everybody going so quickly? And when you're, when you start the vacation, you're like, why are you so slow? <laughs> like somebody in the checkout, they're like asking you questions and stuff like that. They like, don't, you realize we do not speak to each other. We just go and do this. And then you come back and you're like, but why do we live this way? So a lot of it has been, just slowing down and then realizing, you know, I had that panic of how I'm going to constantly keep my kids um, excited by things. And, you know, they go to school, they have their activities, they have their extracurricular activities, they have their play days, we go to museums on the weekend, we were like, we're so scheduled. And then what I realized is if I like step out of their way, they do it's so well, yeah. you know, it's when I'm trying to, I mean, of course you have to guide them towards certain activities of like noticing while well, these kids really need to get outside right now, or we really need to go take a nap or eat a meal or something like that, of course. But there's so much of it that it's just like, all right, I'm going to let you guys start to play. And I've noticed that Rafa and Leo, who are my three and four year olds, the ones that are 14 months apart, that they're better friends than I've ever seen them be. Like they are barely fighting at this point, like knock on wood, like barely fighting. And they like go up to each other and they're like, well, let's pretend that we're like superheroes or, oh, let's pretend this. Everything is pretend, pretend, pretend. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I just like listen in and I'm like, I'm, you know what it is? They don't have friends anywhere else. So these are their friends. This is their community. And they're 
as much as the adults are making it work, they're trying to make it work as well. And they're being resilient. And that's what's that what is what is really amazing. That's great. I do want to say I do think that children are most focused in the morning. And so yes. I do think that you should have a schoolwork. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to use visual calendars with children. I'm actually making one up right now that will be available on our online membership. Um, Playful Learning has the online membership. So I'm actually um, working on creating a visual calendar that you can print out and kind of have at your home for those broad blocks of time that we want to put out during our, day, our days. I do think children should have a schoolwork time and it's after breakfast, you know, it could be after breakfast. You'll know your children best and when, and when they'll do best with this, but it should be in the morning time because again, we want to show them, yes, we all, you know, yes, you have a little bit of work that needs to be done. Your school wants you to do this and we all have to do things we don't want to do sometimes, you know, if, they, if they're, if they're being, if they're, um, if they're resisting it, you know, hopefully they're not. And then they get into a schedule and they know it, but if they're resisting it, say, I know you don't want to do your school right now, but let's get this done. So we're done with it for the day. We have the rest of the day to do what we want. Let's get this done now so that they can see just like we have to do, you know, it's like, I, I tell myself after I get this chapter done in my book, then I can, I can do something else. So I would say have, have a structured time for them to do this schoolwork and let them feel how good it feels when they're done. Uh, you know, say, oh, you got all your schoolwork done for the whole day. Doesn't it feel good to have the whole day ahead of you without having to feel like, you know, that you have, you still have to get to your schoolwork. So start um, verbalizing those kinds of things and those kinds of habits with them so that it just becomes automatic. You wake up, wake up, you have your breakfast, you do your schoolwork, and then, and then you have the whole day ahead of you. Um, and, and it's something for them to look forward to. I'm not a big fan of, you know, do your, do your homework and I'll give you this piece of candy at all. Cause that backfires and it becomes all about the candy and, and not um, the bigger picture. But I do think it's sort of a natural consequence where if you tell yourself, let's get this done now so that we have something to look forward to afterwards. So I, I recommend that structure so that they can get through what they need. Then you don't have the stress of their getting behind on schoolwork. You're, you're more relaxed for the rest of the day. Um, they're more relaxed and they can feel how good it feels to get, to get things done early and, and have some free time to look forward to. I love that. I love that. And you, and you mentioned the visual calendar, which is something that we adopted early on in the school year, actually. Um, and it was first my son that I was doing it for because he just like, he, it made so much sense to him to see his little, we, you know, took a picture of him, laminated it, put a little magnet on the Perfect. back of it and just like move it along or a non-magnet, um, a Velcro. Yes. And he loved it. And he, and my daughter who's older than he is and, and like theoretically was more go with the flow, loves it. And so now it's become like for the whole family and even my two-year-old, it's really valuable, especially now when our days are very different than what they used to be structure-wise. It's really helpful for the kids to see how that lays out. I'm really curious to know if there are other kinds of resources like that. If we are staring down the barrel of, you know, it looking very likely that our kids are not going back to school this school year, are there resources or toys or, you know, Montessori items that we, if we can, if it's possibility, should be investing in and kind of outfitting our homes with? Or do you really think this just is an opportunity to really focus in on binoculars and a book about birds in a cute little basket hidden away? And that's really our, our focus. Yes, I think that um, I think. I think I, I don't recommend investing in a lot of um, you know educational materials that you wouldn't ordinarily have in your house. I think if you can buy a, if you have or you can round up a magnifying glass, binoculars. Um, there's Carson makes these wonderful bug catchers. Um, yeah, bird calls, a little basket, um, and. Uh, um, if you go to playfullearning.net, we have a lot of nature guides. We have leaf guides, bird guides, insect guides, uh, rock and mineral guides. You know, I, I recommend all of those kinds of all of those kinds of things. What about for those people who live in a city and are stuck in an apartment? Good question. Cockroach guys, <laughs> mouse guys. Well, uh, yeah. mouse guys. If you're in an, I still think that you can build on their interests. You know, that you could, can use binoculars um, to look out the window and see what you see. You can, um, you know, it might be dinosaurs. There's so many topics that you know, outer space. You know, um, buy books that they're interested in. And you know books about things that they're interested in, then build on that. And um, I have to say, Playful Learning has a lot of um, wonderful resources that you can print out. So if your child starts talking about outer space, you know you can print out a few fun little activities about that. Um, you can you can read books. You know, so you really want to build on their interests as they come up. Um, it doesn't have to be you know going outside, but 
um, you just want to build on their interest. Uh, so another thing that is really, really popular that children love, love, love are those little plastic figures. There's something called, it's called tubes, T-O-O-B-S or something like that, I think. But they have everything. They have outer space tubes. They have jungle animals tubes. They have- mm -hmm. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. That, it's a tube that's filled with like little plastic, little plastic animals figures. or things. Yes, yeah, so. exactly. So those are the kind, they love those. And those are the kinds of things that you, you could bring out those with a little nature guide. And they can actually, most of playful learning materials are built around the tubes that you can buy. So they can match those. You can find them in books. Um, they can play with them in their free play time a lot. You can include them if you have building blocks at home If you have any Legos or magnetiles or wooden blocks to build with they can incorporate them into their dramatic play And then you can use that opportunity to introduce new vocabulary and look up interesting facts about them um, I, I say, um, you know start with their interest on one topic dinosaurs rocks and minerals out of space whatever it is Statue of Liberty whatever it is um, you know, build on that topic. Do research with them. If they ask you questions that you don't know, say, oh, that's so interesting. That's such a good question. Let's research it. You know, just the simple idea of a children realize, children realizing that they can have a question and that there's a way to find out the answer to that is showing them um, reading for authentic purposes. Um, you know, that, that their questions are important and matter, that, they, that their questions can lead to other questions that can help them develop a deeper understanding of a topic. Those, we want to teach them, we have this wonderful opportunity where our children, I know it doesn't feel so wonderful sometimes, but where our children are not in schools all day, every day. So we can teach them the big picture of, of um, what's important, the habits of heart and mind, you know, the, the intellectual habits that we want them to have of you know being interested in something and pursuing it um reading for information you know a lot of uh, you're probably getting a lot of um you know reading homework but we want to show them that reading is this amazing thing it's it is of course phonics and spelling and um you know all of those important things all of those things are very important but what's more important is for them to love reading because they realize that through reading they can learn about anything they want to in the world you know what's what's the most magical thing about writing yes it's important to know your letter formation and know your letter sounds and um have good handwriting and all those things those are very important but what do you really want them to take away from it that writing is a miracle it's it's a way that they can come connect with people, you know, um, in other places. They can share their stories. They can write something down during the day and show it to dad later that night. And he knows exactly what they said, even if you're just dictating their words. Right. When younger, there's a purpose you know. to it. It's there's all about purpose. finding a purpose. Yeah. Why, why am I doing it? Is it just why? because you're forcing me? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that's been interesting is, is um, patience right now. Because I don't think there's been a time where we've been more stressed out. Yes. and scared and yes. like real, real fears. Yes. And, you know, anytime I'm a big news junkie and I've had to like calm that down because it's, it, you know, you want to find that place where you're informed and then not reading too much that you start to feel like you have a sore throat. You know what I mean? Because it really, like, you know how many times I've thought like, I had a sore throat? Something like, your chest. Been outside. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know what I've been finding? That when I start to, through my own inner anxiety and sort of normal fears about this, I'll find that sometimes I start to feel that my patients are short. And I have to remind myself that we have all the time in the world right now to be patient with the <laughs> yes. kids. And that's the thing is it's Groundhog Day. Well, okay, we're all here. We're inside. What are we going to do right now? And that has been kind of my mantra of keeping myself as calm as possible with them so that I can follow through with these questions. I mean, kids love the why. And so many times I can't answer that. Now I'm going to work. I can't answer that because I have to get on a phone call. I can't answer that because of this. You have to go to school. You have this, you have that. And right now we have very little of that. It's so brilliant. now we are finding out all these really important questions for them. You know, we know more about poop than I ever thought that we would know about <laughs> because that's ultimately no. where all the questions lead to. Exactly. So that's a really good point. So uh, during the phone call that I had with the parent studio parents um, the other day, one of them said, I can't, my child wants me to do everything with them. They're cl more clingy than usual. I can't, they're not working independently. What am I, what am I supposed to do? And my thought was exactly what you were talking about, Alaria, is that 
we are dealing with so much in the world right now. And as parents, we have to keep it together for the children, but we're also worried about everything else that's happening, you know, all around us. So it's very important. You'll find this goes a long way. It's very important when you are with your children to be very present with them. I mean, this happened when I was a teacher in the classroom too. If I was not feeling well today or I was feeling stressed or I didn't really you know, wanna be there that day, the, all the classroom, it, all the children in my classroom picked up on that and I felt like it was chaos, you know, like because they were even more demanding of my attention. If they feel you're not present or they feel like you're thinking about the news or if you're kind of halfway playing with them but watching the news, um, you know, all of those things, if they don't feel like you're completely present, then they're going to get more clingy with them. But what you will find is if you say, you know what, for the next hour, I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit in the room while the children are playing. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to respond to them. I'm going to be completely present. That fills them up. And it's so subtle. It's so nuanced. But the children have such incredible intuitions when it comes to this. If they feel you very present for even an hour at a time, that fuels them up where they're a lot less clingy when you need to go and cook dinner or you need to go do the dishes or you need to go get some work done. So while you're with them, be 100% present, but then you also have to explain that there's times just like they have to do their schoolwork that you have to do your work at home too. So it's not it's not gonna be you know a quick fix, but just um, keep in mind when you're with them how present you're actually being with them because you could spend hours with them and not be completely present and that doesn't fill up their need of being with you. Right. I love that so much. I think that's really something we've talked about a little bit is um, giving your kids opportunity to see you fail or struggle or be challenged or have a bad day or what, and just to acknowledge that human element of their parents who I think they have a tendency to revere, at least at these ages, we haven't gotten to like the teenage age where they hate us yet. Um, and I, I think that that is a, a fringe, I'm, I'm choosing to look at it as a fringe benefit of all this time that we are spending together where you are so right. And I, I've, I've had this experience where I've been with the kids all day, you know, before Corona, been with the kids all day and felt at the end of the day, not filled up by that, not rewarded by that because it was distracted time. It was me on my phone trying to get 20 emails out time. It was crazy where you do get that one hour of devotion and, and just total just presence and, um, and taking it all in and you feel like a completely different person. But something that I think our, we're getting that I didn't anticipate as parents is an opportunity to really insightfully and detailed I get a really insightful and detailed view of how our kids individually learn, how they're different, how they're, how they are motivated, how that, what interests them. I mean, the thing like Philomena, my oldest is so, she's so artistic in the way that she just like sees the world and everything for her. It, she wants it to be a performance. She wants it to be an art project. She wants it to be a, a short story that she's writing, a painting, the whole thing. And, and John, he like, he's, he, he is like a little savant about reading and he just can't wait to put his words together and, and just seeing how differently those, I mean, they're 20 months apart, but their brains are completely different in what, what, what fires them up. And they're getting to see about me. Like you just said, like we still have obligations, you know, yes. if, if we're lucky enough to have work that we can do from home, we are still trying to keep pace with some of that as much as like the economy feels like it's completely shut down. And, and we are trying to manage a household and we are trying to keep our heads straight and we're trying to manage our own anxiety and our kids are getting the full brunt positive and negative of that too. And I, it's, I'd love to talk a little bit just because your presence has been so soothing for me as an adult. I'm sure you have good advice on how to help children deal with the anxiety that they're unquestionably feeling. Like my, John was really acting up the other day, not my husband, although him too. No, <laughs> little John was really acting up because, um, and just like more quick to throw a tantrum and much less like regulated in his own emotional, like, you know, it was something he was, he was, fighting with some block thing he was building. He, you know, he, his favorite thing is to take empty boxes of all shapes and sizes and try to build things with them. But like when, you know, when he wants to build like, you know, a space launcher with like an add on satellite mission to, I mean, it's like the most complicated, crazy thing. And I'm not very crafty. So I'm here like trying to butts with it with him and he's getting really frustrated. And I, I sat there for a second and realized, well, yeah, yeah I mean, cause he, he's feeling all the anxiety I'm feeling mm -hmm. and all the lack of structure I'm feeling and all the like sense of displacement that I'm feeling with a four-year-old's ability to communicate that. So I'd love your, I'd love your thoughts on how to help kids cope with the anxiety they're feeling right now. Um, I think that, I mean, especially with young children, I think that, and, and this is not my, um, 
area of expertise at all, but I do think that they need to feel, I think with young children, we need to try to keep it at a minimum, our anxiety, expressing our anxiety. Um, you know, I, I definitely don't recommend watching news with children in the room. Um, they just need to feel like their world is safe right now, that um, that your family is gonna stick together and make sure that all of you are happy and have nice days. Like, it's hard for them, it's hard for them to understand to, to, to process, especially um, at, you know, they're still at ages four and five, they're, they're still trying to differentiate between fantasy and reality, you know, so there's, so it's hard for them to understand what's happening on the outside world. And I think we just want to make them feel as safe and, um, and create a, a joyful experience as possible. As they get older, you know, I have two teenage daughters, so they're very aware of what's happening. So, um, you know, we still try to not, um, you know, we still try to just have, you know, our days flowing and smooth. But but you can talk to them a little bit more and talk about you know we're we're, we're in New York right now so we're in the epicenter so we talk about what's happening but we also talk about the glimmers of good news that we're hearing about therapeutics and about um, how people are coming together and all the good deeds that people are doing those are kind of the things that you want to focus on with them um, that, that there are adults that when crisis happens you know, we all come together and we come up with strategies and we help each other get through it. And so I, I think that's kind of the message that you want to leave them with, you know, it, even with my girls, you know, none of us have ever been through this. They're, they're, they're hearing really scary things through social media and what's happening. So you have to just make sure I check in with them every day to kind of see, you know, what's the latest, what are they hearing? And then I try to make sure that they're getting correct information and, and, um, you know, try to give them accurate information. But I do want to say we want to, for the young ones, we want to make them feel like they have control. Like, you know, there has to be, if, if they feel like their life is completely out of control and the world feels like it's completely out of control, that's going to be, um, that is what's going to create anxiety. I do think, especially like you said, with your two learners who are so different, I think um, having some sort of visual schedule where each morning they wake up and they can make their own, you know, I think, I think you, you know, you have the basics in there, but you say, um, you say, you know, schoolwork might be the non-negotiable time. Their naps might be not negotiable. So you kind of fill in those blocks for them, but say, well, what would you like to do? You know, do you want to do art this afternoon? Would you like to do some building this afternoon? Do you want to go for a walk this afternoon? And kind of let them fill in those broader strokes um, so that they feel like they have some control over their day and their lives. I think when children feel like they have no control, and it's probably happening more than ever because usually the full days that we get with our children are on vacations and weekends, and that's very free flowing. Now, when parents start to try and control that those days for them, then they feel like they have no control over everything. So it has to be this give and take where you're, where you're under, where you're listening and you're validating what they want to do and what's important to them. That's totally spot on and giving them those flexible moments after their schoolwork is done. We don't know how long this extends for. So trying to keep it manageable for them in any way we can is really powerful. I never want to let you go. I want you to be the third host of Mom Brain. Um, but we do, we do sadly have to have to let you get on with everything else that you're doing. And what's your favorite thing? So my two my two of my favorite things to have at home for playful learning with your children are a magnifying glass and a bug catcher. I, they're from Amazon and they're both um, Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N is the brand that makes the bug catcher and the binoculars. Thanks, Mariah. Thank Bye. you so much. So Stay well. Mom So that was Mariah, guys. And I have to say, I I feel so rejuvenated and a little bit gentler on myself after listening to her because I, I have been really struggling with the homeschool piece because I feel like I, I had outsized expectations for how naturally that would come to pass and how, you know, how easy it would be to structure my days of trying to teach John and Philo and Nika and Gigi at different levels across the day and manage their time and and plotted accordingly. And I, I think the most powerful thing that I took away from Mariah was to, to let your children lead, to do a little bit less the, of the hard, you know, the hard push that I feel like so many of us are inclined to do and really take a step back and let them guide us a little bit more. Um, and that the result of that will actually be much better learning and a little bit less stress for the parents, which is great. Um, I cannot wait to go and set up my secret little baskets and, and you know, little nooks and corners <laughs> on the house. My kids are going to freak about that. It's so cute and exciting and, uh, and a very manageable, you know, accomplishment for me because some of the projects I see, you know, people on social media turning out with their kids at home, it's, 
it's mind blowing to me. And I'm so jealous that they are, you know, capable of these gorgeous things. But with four kids, it just, it is hanging on by the skin of your teeth most days. <laughs> so we will start with our baskets so with in different baskets. corners and that will be absolutely incredible. Yes. All right, guys, now it's time for our favorite things. time for our favorite things. Yes! So today I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the stuff that I've been homeschooling my kids with. So one thing I found that they're obsessed with is dice um, and just like regular dice and we'll do two dice. We have these large dice which I always feel better with choking hazards because my kids are pretty little um, and they love to roll them and then they tell me the two, the sum of the two together. Um, and it was kind of like this weird game that we just ended up finding and they are obsessed with. That's so fun. Yeah, It's so fun. And it was like just out of desperation that I found that gamble? it was like a fun game for them. <laughs> I, not what, I, no, no, are never gamble. Are there cast? Well, I know, right? Well, that, that'll be, that'll be next year. <laughs> um, but, um, but, and then I found that there's alphabet dice as well. So ah. now I know because I was like, wouldn't this be so cool? Because we have flashcards and the kids love flashcards. So that's another one that I recommend. I think Mm -hmm. flashcards are really great. They're fun. You carry them around. The kids like to put them in. You can play memory with them. You can Mm -hmm. do like all all sorts of fun different games with them. Um, But there's alphabet dice as well. And so I recommend that. And there's a – I know that lots of things are getting sold out right now. So we'll give you – I don't know how many Cal is going to let me give. Um, And then then the other thing that I've I've been doing is getting um, different activity books that I, I know that I've talked to you guys before about the phonics books that I really like. There's one right now that I'm doing with my daughter that's the human body and it's super, super fun. Um, and that one is is cool because it's, you know, it has fun facts and then there's coloring, then there's like work pages in it. I think that's it's done really well. Um, but even like just coloring pages or mazes, all these different things of, of problem solving, I'm finding um, is is really helping helping my my children to stay, you know, emotionally stimulated through this. So I love that. those are those are some of my ideas. I could continue to go on because obviously I am a nerd, um, but I will stop. My favorite thing I want to share this week is actually a YouTube video of how to make your very own fairy light. So, um, oh my god, I, so fun! I saw this. It, um, it's a really fun craft that where you basically use like a mason jar and a cutout of a fairy and a little tea light inside, you know, an electric LED tea light to create uh, this really beautiful, fun little nightlight, essentially. And it's so cute because I, I pulled it up and I, I was watching the video with Philomena of how to make it. And John immediately came over and he was like, I want to make one too. And you can cut out whatever shape you want. And like they show with a fairy, you could do whatever you want. And, but he was like, and I'll make my own and then I can keep it in my room with my fairies and my <laughs> dragonflies. And like, they're both so pumped to make these little jars. And I just, you know, I, I like I said, I really want to try to fill this time when we are all home together with as many happy memories for them as possible. And I know that like for me personally, biting off a huge craft project, I'm never going to get to it. It's just going to stress me out more that I'm not getting to the craft project that was supposed to be fun in the first place. (laughs) And this is manageable and, um, you know, relatively easy. And uh, we'll put the link here so you guys can find it. From one non-crafter to all of you who may be non-crafters, just any little bit goes a long way to making your kids really, really happy in that. All right, guys, that's our favorite thing. Guys, we're thinking about you. We're sending you lots of energy. Everybody stay home, stay healthy, and we'll get through this together. Lots of love, guys. Mombrainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, everywhere where you possibly can. We'd love to connect with you. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.